0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. Man, it is good to see you. And uh, how, many, how many believe that the Chiefs are gonna win today? Yes. If you don't, the door's right there, you can leave. No, I'm kidding. Uh, hey, is it okay if I start off with some good news this morning? Good news. Uh, back in 2020, anybody remember 2020? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a year filled of lots of things. Um, And a lot of things I'll remember from 2020, but one of the things that I will remember most from 2020 is something that God led us to do. And if you were here in 2020, perhaps you remember this. You can throw this picture on the screen. We did something called Christmas for Columbia. And at the end of 2020, in the midst of all of the chaos that happened that year, God led us as a church to partner with an organization called Compassion International to start a brand new church in Buenaventura, Colombia, And that church would not only be a church, but it would be a nutrition center, it would be an education center for uh, children in poverty in that area of Buenaventura. And uh, man, I'm excited uh, to share some really good news because I got an email update this week from uh, our partners at Compassion. Now listen, here's the deal, here's what you gotta know. The the goal that it cost $75,000 to build one of these things. And at the time, we were a year and a half old as a church. And and 18 month old churches have no business writing $75,000 to anything outside of like bills and rent and that kind of stuff. Um, But God led us to do it anyway. But because of your incredible generosity, we didn't just write a check of $75,000, we wrote a check for over $90,000 to help start a new work in. Buenaventura, and I got an email update. I want to share a couple of things with you. That construction is underway. In fact, uh, one of the pictures you can see here. This is them laying the first stone of of the building um, that is going on there. And so construction is underway. And listen, I you know I don't know if you've noticed how you know things are kind of lagging behind a little bit longer than normal, and so it's taken a little bit of time to get rolling. But construction is underway. Uh, and the pastor of the church is named Pastor Yvonne. And this is what he said in the update. He said the population in our area is very vulnerable and they are eager to participate in this project where many families will be blessed. Listen to this, this church is the answer to the prayers of so many people because there aren't any local organizations serving people in poverty in this area, none. And what's cool is, is that the church is already impacting people, even though the building, how many of you know church isn't just the building? The church is already at work there. They've already got 50-some-odd adults connecting and engaging on a regular basis, 40-some-odd kids connected on a regular basis. And check this out, four people have committed their life to Christ in the last few months. Man, it it is awesome. So when we say you don't give to Discover Church, you give through Discover Church, This is part of what we're talking about. And so we're excited about what God is doing in Buenaventura and excited to be a part of it. And we're gonna be sending this this info out to you. So check your emails, check your text messages. We're gonna be sending that info out either today or tomorrow so that you can be in the know and read some of the specific prayer requests. But I just wanna know, would it be okay um, if we took a moment to pray? In the update, Pastor Yvonne said, we are praying for you, Discover Church. And I just wonder if it would be okay if we as Discover Church prayed for Pastor Yvonne and his church. Can we do that this morning? Lord, we come to you today and we thank you so much that your church is not about a building, it's about a people. Thank you so much that your church is is alive and it's at work and it's active, not just right here in the Northland of Kansas City, but all across the globe and even in Buenaventura, Columbia. Thank you, Jesus, that you called us to be a part of this. You called us to live with generosity. You called us to live sacrificially so that people in another part of the world that we may never meet on this side of eternity can be blessed with their physical needs being cared for and to learn about the solution to their spiritual problem that maybe someday we would be able to meet them in heaven. And God, I pray that you be with this church, be with the construction process, be with them as they are at work in the community, and would you continue to use this incredible church and Pastor Yvonne and his team to meet the needs of people in the community. And all God's people said, amen. The title of our message today is Jesus doesn't want you to be a Christian. He said, what? Jesus doesn't want you to be a Christian. Now That's a weird statement. It might be even a little bold. And if you're new at church today and you're not really sure about our church or about Jesus or about me, you're probably thinking like, I think he just broke one of the rules. I don't know the rules, but I think he just broke one of them when he said that. Jesus doesn't want you to be a Christian. That's true, and I'm gonna prove it to you today. But before I do, I wanna start by laying a little bit of groundwork. How many of you know that words are powerful? Right, like sometimes, have you ever been in a situation where you said something and you thought, ooh, bring that back? You can't. Words are powerful. They cause us to, they evoke emotions and images and thoughts in our heads. So I thought we could play a little word association game this morning. Is it okay if we have fun in church? Yeah. So I'm gonna give you a couple words, and I just want you to, I want your mind to just go to wherever it is that your mind goes when you see this word. How about this first word, uh, the word crossfit? Right now, your mind immediately goes to some places, right? And if you're in the workout CrossFit thing, your mind, you know, some of you love it, some of you hate it. Um, Maybe some of you, your mind goes to an image that looks like this, this first image. This is uh, an image from the, I don't know if you know this, but there's a competition every year of all the stupidly fit people that can do things that seem humanly stupid, and um Uh, And so this is a woman by the name of Rebecca Fusile. I had to practice that a few times to get it right. And this is at the end of one of the workouts. She's carrying a 150 pound sandbag, y'all. Now, some of y'all, when y'all think about CrossFit, you think about this kind of image because because one of the, 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 the hallmarks of CrossFit is doing stupid hard work, but having a whole bunch of people around to kind of support you and encourage you. Maybe this is what you think of CrossFit or perhaps you think of this second image. The first rule of CrossFit is always talk about CrossFit. And the second rule of CrossFit is always talk about CrossFit. If you know anybody who does CrossFit, that's all they ever talk about. And they use weird language like, bro, the wad today was totally hard. It was an imam with all kinds of thruster pull-ups. How about this word? These are two words, actually. Ooh, we're gonna have fun here. Somebody's about to get mad. I started with CrossFit because I do CrossFit and so it's equal opportunity. How about this word, essential oils? The people who are laughing are laughing for a reason and the people who aren't are upset at the people who are laughing. (laughs) Perhaps when you think of essential oils, you think of this kind of an image. Right, like they smell good, they're natural, they're better for you. Some say they're cheaper. I don't know about that, but Or maybe when you think of essential oils, you think of this picture. If you can't read it, that's Karen with her essential oils coming to kill the coronavirus. Let's let's have fun, one more, how about this one? This is gonna be also fun. Uh, How about the word politics? Oh Lord. Somebody's new here today and thinking, no, he isn't. No, he isn't. Perhaps when you think of politics, and I don't know if anyone, I mean, I don't know who would think of this, but you know, you can throw that first image up. Do y'all know how many images I had to look through when I did a Google image search of bipartisanship? But the reality of it is, I think we can probably all agree that this next image really sums up our thoughts about politics. That some of you who don't get Star Wars don't understand this joke. That when you think of your candidate, you think of your candidate as Obi-Wan Kenobi, the great guide, the savior, the healer, the helper. You think of the other candidate as Darth Vader, but in reality, they're all just Jar Jar Binks. They're kind of stupid and do nothing. truth is words are powerful. They cause us to think about things. They they convey images and thoughts in our mind about what something is and The reality of it is, when we hear the word Christian, it stirs up all kinds of thoughts. If you're in the church, it causes you to think of certain things. If you're not part of the Jesus movement, if church is in a normal rhythm or pattern for you, then the word Christian maybe stirs up some things for you. It it stirs up things for all of us. But did you know that, that the first followers of Jesus did not refer to themselves as Christians? They initially referred to themselves as followers of the way. The word Christian actually was a developed term that was a derogatory term to refer to the, P, the Jesus people. It was not something that would have been uh, received well when someone threw the word Christian around. And did you know that the word Christian is only found three times in your Bible? Jesus does not want you to be a Christian. Jesus wants you to be something else, a different word that is found in the Bible over 280 times. It is a word that, that, that greatly depicts the, de- the desire of Jesus's heart, but it is a word that has kind of lost its meaning and lost its oomph in our modern American society. The reality of it is is Jesus doesn't want you to be a Christian, Jesus wants you to be a disciple. Uh, in order to help understand what this word disciple means, we're gonna unpack this today. But but because this is Jesus's heart, I want you to understand, we as a church are passionate about helping people become disciples of Jesus. It's the reason why last week I introduced that we launched Starting Point, um, an intentional process that we wanna walk with anybody who is new in their relationship with Jesus or, or unsure about their relationship with Jesus. Man, we would love to walk with you through the process so you can understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we, had, we launched it last week. We've had about a handful of people sign up already. So if you're interested in that, come talk to me, go talk to our welcome tent and we'll help you out with it. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna study some of the characteristics of a disciple. And as we do, I wanna, wanna provide this kind of blanket of thought over the top of it. This is not a guilt you, shame you, you should feel bad if you aren't kind of message. I don't believe when I watch and read about the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, shame is not part of Jesus's mechanism to get people to follow him. That's not how he does things. Instead, what he does is he constantly portrays a different option and he constantly gives us the choice which option we want to choose. And so as I'm as I'm sharing this message today, I just want you to know that it is possible that it is going to be challenging and convicting to us because I believe that there are some of us, and, and, and it's been challenging for me as I've been working through this this week, that there are, there are some of us, that there are some areas of our lives where we are living more as a Christian, which which conveys this idea that I get to have a title and I get to know that I'm gonna go to heaven and maybe I will come to church sometimes and I'll do the do's and I'll don't the don'ts, but, but really, That's really all there is. I don't have any close connection with Jesus. I don't feel like I'm close to Jesus at all, but I do feel like I'm at least kind of like in the family. And I just want you to know that Jesus' desire is so much more than that we just become a Christian. And because of that, parts of the message today might be kind of convicting. There might be some times in the message today where you feel an owl. The way that God works is his Holy Spirit brings conviction in our lives, not to bring shame or condemnation or judgment, but he brings conviction to point us in a new direction. Conviction is not a bad thing because here's the heart of God. God will always and constantly bring conviction that's rooted in love. He will never bring condemnation that is rooted in hate. So I want to unpack for you today four things that I believe that that God wants for us, that Jesus wants for us when it comes to being a disciple. The first thing is this, a disciple learns from Jesus. What does this mean? It means that as a disciple, you learn from Jesus, you become his student, but you don't just become his student in the sense that you, you learn about him and you learn things of him, but, but we learn for the purpose of becoming more like him. I don't know if you know this or not, but the point of Christianity is not just so that you can be in the family or be in the club. The point of Christianity ultimately is that we become more like Jesus. We best see this in the life of Peter. Peter was one of the first people that Jesus ever called to be his disciples. And and in order to understand how this would have affected Peter, we have to understand first century Jerusalem, first century Israel. You see, boys and girls in America today, you might grow up and you might think about being all kinds of things. Maybe you think about being a a doctor or a teacher, or maybe you think about being a professional athlete or a video game designer, right? There's all kinds of things, a cop, a firefighter, I don't know, all kinds of things that we would grow up thinking about. But in first century Israel, every boy grew up dreaming about being a rabbi, dreaming about being a a person that was prestigious, that wore these fancy clothes, that, that was in a position of high honor amongst the Jewish people. And so there was a process to become a rabbi. The first test happened when you were about 10 or 12 years old and and you would come and you would perform a test, you would take this test and the test was basically, you have to recite word for word the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy at the age of 10 or 12. If you pass the test then you got to move on to the second step. And the second step was another test that you took somewhere between 18 or 21. And if you passed that test, then basically you got into like a fantasy football draft situation where these rabbis would come and then they would pick you to be their disciple. But if you failed either of the tests, then what you did is you went back home and you became an apprentice in the family business. And when Jesus comes along Peter in Matthew chapter four, we know that Peter failed the test because he's not not in the business of being a rabbi. He's in the business of being a fisherman. And in Matthew chapter four, we find this. It says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now listen, we might read that and go, well, this is just awkward, right? Like you're just out casting your nets, you're fishing and some dude walks by and says, follow me. I will help you fish for people. And then he just turns around and leaves? You see, here's what Peter and Andrew would have recognized. Peter and Andrew would have recognized, this is it. This is the second chance. This is an opportunity to, to, to try again the thing that we wanted so badly when we were boys. And so what did they do? They left their nets. They followed him. In Luke's gospel, it says that they forsook all and followed Jesus. It literally means, this word forsook means literally, they turned their back on their life in order to go and follow Jesus. I'm here to tell you today that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what happened last night or last week. It doesn't matter how you think maybe you have messed up, screwed up, or jacked up your life. It doesn't matter the things that, that, that you have done. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is walking by your life today saying, listen, I wanna give you a second chance. I wanna give you an opportunity, a do-over. I wanna give you a fresh start. I wanna give you a clean slate. And this is what Jesus is doing with Andrew and with Peter, and they recognize it. This is their chance to, 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 to have a second chance, a clean slate at, at the thing that they had hoped for and dreamed for, but they failed. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we learn from Jesus? Well, as adults, who have a tendency to make things really complicated. Jesus has a tendency to make things really simple. The way that we learn from Jesus is we simply say yes to Jesus. Anytime that God shows up in your life and speaks something over you or speaks something into your life, anytime you read God's word and you realize that there's a part of your life that doesn't match what God's word says, the way that you learn from Jesus, the way that you become like Jesus is you simply say, okay, yes. Whatever you want, Jesus, sure. Because a disciple learns from Jesus. But that's not it. A disciple is also changed by Jesus. Jesus. Can I tell you one of the things that I love most about Jesus is that he loves each and every one of us so much he will come and meet you right where you are. You see, there's this mindset with a lot of people and I don't really know how this happened. I don't really know how this worked. I have to believe at some point it's because the church has done a really good job of painting a really bad message about how Jesus operates. That sometimes I believe that the message that has been conveyed from the church to the world is, well, you can, you, can, you can hang out and belong with us once you behave like us and you believe like us. But can I tell you, when I read the Bible, Jesus didn't have those prerequisites. Jesus actually intentionally sought out people who didn't behave like he did, who didn't believe like he did, so that he could communicate, I love you. And it's okay if you belong in my presence while you work through your beliefs and your behavior. I love that Jesus will meet us right where we are. Let me ask, where are you today? You struggling with something? You have a financial issue? You struggling with addiction in some way? You feel overcome and overwhelmed by the stuff of the world? Is your marriage on the rocks? Are are, are, are you single today and feeling great about it? Or are you single today and, and kind of upset about it? Listen, here's the deal. Jesus loves us so much, he will always come right to our level and meet us right there. We don't have to get our lives cleaned up. We don't have to put our Sunday best on. We don't have to you know, get the visine to get the red out from the stuff that we were doing this last night. Jesus just said, come on, I I, I love you. I just want to be with you. I wanna be near you. But here's the thing that I love about Jesus as well, that he loves us too much to let us stay that way. He does. Because here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that some of those things that led you to those places were probably in response to some pain, some void, some hurt, something that happened to you. And what Jesus wants you to know today is that wherever it is that you are, whatever pain you're feeling, whatever has happened to you, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you, he cares for you, he wants to bring healing to that area, but not just healing to that area, he wants to lead you to a place where you can experience more joy, more victory, more freedom, more fulfillment and more contentment by learning and allowing him to change you the bible oftentimes gets a little bit bad rap people go it's just an ancient book it doesn't work anymore that's just old school stuff nobody believes that nobody does anything can I just tell you that's not my that's not my testimony of the bible because when I read passages like this in John chapter eight, when Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and watch this, and the truth shall make you free. Therefore, if the Son, that's Jesus, makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Listen to me. I don't care what the world wants to say about the Bible, that it's this old archaic book full of old stuff that doesn't work anymore. Because the story of my life is that when I read the truth and I abide by the truth, the truth sets me free. When I struggle with thoughts of impurity, of stuff that I shouldn't be thinking about, God takes me back to his word. He says, listen, you need to take those thoughts captive. Not only do you need to take those thoughts captive, but Jesus said that God will not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So when my mind starts to go down a bad way and I start thinking about stuff I shouldn't be thinking about, you know what I start doing? I start saying, God, you said you would not lead me into temptation, but you would deliver me for evil. Jesus, would you deliver me from evil right now because my thought process is leading me down the wrong way. It's not gonna be good for me. It's not gonna be good for my marriage. It's not gonna be good for my kids. It's not gonna be good for my church. If I allow that thought to work itself all the way out, it's gonna lead me to a bad place. So Jesus, I need you right now, this very moment, to deliver me from evil. Take this thought out of my mind and replace it with something better. When I struggle with stress or anxiety, start to get freaked out, I go back to God's word and God's word says that we should dwell on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is of a good report. You see in those moments, my mind wants to dwell on the things that are negative. My mind wants to jump to conclusions. My mind wants to try to fill in blanks that somebody didn't fill in for me. And I've never been in a situation where I filled in blanks with the best of intentions. I always fill in the blanks with the worst of intentions. And so what does God's word tells me to do? God's word says, no, 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 no. You, as a follower of mine, as a disciple of mine, don't dwell on those things that are negative, that are a bad report, that are gonna lead you down a bad direction and think the worst of people. Stop that. Instead, dwell on what is true. What do I know to be true right now? Not what I feel What do I know is true about my spouse? What do I know is true about my family member? What do I know is true? I'm not gonna jump to conclusions. And then it says, dwell on whatever is noble, right? Like, what what are the things that are noble? What are the things that are of the best of intentions? And then it says, dwell on those things that are of a good report. What are the things, like, I'm not, our world gets money and makes billions because it always leads with a bad report, You never scroll through social media and click on the link because it says, click here for awesome good news. No, it's like, click here to see awful pictures of a train wreck. Oh, I don't want to see that. Oh, my goodness. That's terrible. Share. did you see this? The headline over our world is, oh, often bad news. God leads me to freedom when I dwell on what is true, what is noble, what is a good report. Hey, anybody dealing with some financial pressure right now? I guess me and you, two of us. Listen, here's the deal. For the last several months, Jessica and I revisit our budget and we start going, ouch. But I come back to God's word and God's word says, listen, if you will, if you will trust me with your finances, I'll take care of the rest. And several months ago, we as a church entered this new two-year thing called Never Settle and, 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 and God led me and Jessica to, uh, to a new place of giving that we've never been before. And I'm not telling this isn't a pat on the back. I'm just trying, is it okay if I just tell you that I'm a real person and, I, and I'm trying to work through this the same way that you are? And go back to God's word and God says, listen, trust me with this every month I look at the budget and I go, wow, it sure be easier if we lowered that number. Listen, every month, God, you, you called us to trust you with this. So God, that's yours first. We'll figure the rest out. Y'all, we, had, we have been tightening the belt so much, we had to make a new hole in the belt. But God keeps calling us to be faithful, trust him. When I apply God's word, it always leads me to freedom. I've never been in a situation in my life where I have applied God's word and it led me to more bondage. How does this work? Better yet, why does it work? It works because Jesus is changing Me. Romans 12 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't continue to just do what you always did. Don't continue to just do what the world always does. But instead, allow yourself to be transformed by the teachings of God's word by renewing your mind. Literally, there are times, listen, you have some areas in your life where you keep ending up in the same place of bondage. You keep ending up in the same place of frustration. You keep ending up in the same place of disappointment and discouragement. And the reason why is because you keep with the same thought pattern and doing the same thing. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that comes from the Word. And I want you to watch what happens. It says that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Listen to me. There are some people that are here today that don't know what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is in your life in this season because you are not allowing the Word of God to transform your mind to think differently. Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Jesus says, if you will come to me and allow me to change you, I will promise you different results. But what does this look like in everyday life? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. How do we do this? How do we get changed by Jesus as a disciple? We apply his teachings to our lives. You take what God's word says and you go, I'm gonna do that like a recipe, like a prescription, like a workout plan. I'm gonna do that and we'll see what happens. How does this work in real life? Well, I wanna share with you an email that I got this week. I got an email this week from one of our awesome families in our church, Randy Cunningham, who emailed me this week about some things that she's been kind of working through you don't know, uh, uh, Randy and, and, and her, her husband, Sean, and they are an awesome couple that have stepped into the beautiful but messy work of fostering. And God has called them into this. Now, I, I, I met with Randy a few weeks ago and she educated me on some things I didn't know about fostering. Oftentimes people, I always associated, well, when you foster, you're fostering for the purpose of adoption, because that's not how it works. The whole purpose of fostering is so that, so that we can accept a child into our home and love them and care for them like our own, so that the birth mom and the birth dad can get some things organized and situated in their life. And the whole purpose of the whole system is so that while mom and dad are handling some things on their end, we can make sure this baby has everything that they need. And then when mom and dad get back on their feet, then we're gonna send that baby Back home. It's difficult. It's messy. It's awesome. She sent me this email this week. She said, Yesterday I met the birth mother of the baby that we are fostering. The children's division has had a hard time locating her since the baby has been in our care. This meeting brought up a lot of emotions for me. I was happy, sad, anxious, excited, disappointed. I made the mistake about starting to dream about adoption and when that time might come. It was so great to meet her and to be able to talk with her, but I walked away feeling very uneasy and having a lot of judgment towards her, which is usually, which is weird because I usually tend to have more compassion and empathy for birth parents of the children that we have fostered. So I was, super, I was up super early this morning praying for God's heart for this mom. And I was reading Romans 13 when it says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And it goes on to say, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And then she said, so, this morning, I'm letting those verses lead my heart to continue the debt to love one another. She says, I love the word debt there because love does cost us something and will always cost us something. And to clothe myself with Jesus. And I love how she ends her email. She says, I am so thankful for God's word and the power it has to shift the way that we think and the way that we feel. He is so good. This is what it looks like, y'all. To take and read God's word and allow God's word to renew and transform our mind because what you think isn't always true, what you feel isn't always facts. And we need God's word to guide us Randy, I just gotta tell you, I don't know where you are in the room today, but I love you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for being a disciple that is willing to be changed by Jesus. And thank you for the incredible work you're doing. This baby and that mama are so blessed to have you and Sean in their life. And what a privilege it is for you to care for this little one while mama gets her life back back in order. Here's the third thing. A disciple stays close to Jesus. Now, at the beginning of Peter's walk, we we talked about this at the beginning of the message when Jesus comes and says, hey, hey, Pete, follow me. We talked about that for the purpose of of learning from him and growing from him to become more like him. But what we see in the last conversation that Jesus and Peter ever have, we see this point that Jesus' desire is to stay close to us. Now, we find this in John chapter 21. And for the sake of time, we don't have time to go there and read the entire passage. But here's what happens. When Jesus is arrested, Peter begins to deny Christ. Jesus actually predicted this was gonna happen. And so Jesus is arrested and it's in a public area where they're walking by and Peter sees a small little bonfire and he goes and he sits down and a little girl there says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's people? And Peter says, no. And he begins to cuss like a sailor. What's interesting is I believe it's from here that people think that if you cuss, then you know Jesus hates you. Jesus loved Peter. He just want to you know, change some of the words he used from time to time. Peter would go on to deny Christ in two separate conversations that would have over the next couple of hours. And what's interesting is the Bible actually records that the third time that, that Peter denied Christ, the Bible actually tells us that Jesus and Peter made eye contact through a crowd. Jesus goes on to be crucified and buried, Peter goes with the rest of the disciples and hiding into this upper room. They spend the next couple of days freaked out until Sunday happens and Jesus comes back from the grave and he comes and he, re- he reveals himself to the disciples that are in the upper room and they're freaking out and they can't believe what they're seeing because they've never, they don't, they, you know, they don't, they're having a hard time understanding. They saw him die, they saw him go in the grave, and they saw the, the Roman centurion standing guard there so that nobody could take him. But now, on the third day, he's standing in the flesh in their presence. None of this makes sense. About a week later, Peter is is now back in the boat. He's fishing with his buddies. And Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they recognize that Jesus is on the shore. And what does Peter do? Peter like jumps out, full clothes and everything. Just jumps right in, starts swimming, you know, gets to the shore and gets up there. And here's what's interesting. Jesus is sitting by a small bonfire. And he's prepared breakfast for Peter. You see, Peter's been fishing all night. And Jesus and Peter begin to go in this back and forth dialogue where, where Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. And, and Jesus asked Peter that three times. This is significant because it is, it is redeeming each of the three times that Peter denied Christ. At the end of the exchange, Jesus tells Peter, listen, Peter, you are going to suffer many things because of me. I love Peter because I see, I don't, I'm like type a I'm, a. I'm a D on the disc. I oftentimes say things I shouldn't say. That happened this last weekend in a text conversation with somebody in our church. I was like, ooh, I feel bad about that. Peter, at the end of the whole thing, Jesus says, Peter, I love you. I, I, I believe in you. I'm proud of you. Um, but you're gonna suffer many things for me. And Peter starts looking around and he sees John. And he goes, Am I the only one that's going to have to suffer? I mean, what about him? Jesus says this in John 21, 22. He said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Jesus saying, Peter, stop being so concerned about everybody else, man. Stop worrying about where the culture's going. Stop worrying about where your friends are going. Stop stop worrying about what they're gonna say or what they're gonna think. Here's the deal, Peter. Here's what I want. I want you to have blinders on and I want you to focus on me. I want you to just follow me. And I want you to see what's possible. If you would spend as much time as you spend concerned about what everybody else is thinking, if you would spend that much time concerned about what I'm thinking. And the tone that Jesus is using here is overwhelmingly flooded with love and compassion and it's filled with purpose and hope for Peter. See, here's the deal. We all know that misery loves company. But sometimes that we forget that obedience doesn't require companionship. And our God is referred to over and over by Jesus as a loving father. Now, listen, I get it. Some of us have a hard time when we hear that because the image that comes to your mind when you hear the word father, when you hear the word dad, when you hear the word daddy, there's nothing positive about it because of your experiences with your earthly Father. But God's desire is that we would know him in the way that a good father and a loving father loves his kids. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants to be close to you. This is the heart of God. This is why God wants us, why Jesus doesn't want you to be a Christian where you can say that you're associated with his movement and go to a church and and do some of the things and don't, some of the don'ts, right? Like the reason why Jesus doesn't want you to be a Christian is because he can't be close to people who are only interested in wearing the Christian hat to get the accolades that come from it. He wants to be close with those who are willing to be his disciples, who were willing to draw close to him. Listen, I love my kids. There's nothing I want to do for my kids, but listen, I, sometimes I need space for my kids. Anybody, can I get an amen? There has never been a time where the God of heaven has ever wanted a break from you. There's never been a time where you've been annoying to him There's never been a time where he's blown up at you because here we are again. Just had that conversation in my house. Haven't we talked about this a hundred times? God is a good father and he wants to be close to you. So how do we do this? How How do we draw near? How do we stay close to Jesus? We have to spend time with him the same way that you stay close in any relationship. You've got to invest the time in the relationship. How do we do that? Through prayer, just talking to God, through worship, through reading your Bible and through serving others. One of my mentors, when I was uh, early on in ministry, he said, you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving others. Listen, you, you draw close to Jesus when you get your eyes off of yourself and you get your eyes on other people and you go serve them instead of self-serving yourself. And lastly, we'll wrap this up. A disciple shares Jesus with others. You see, this whole series that we're in called Who's Your One is is for the intent and the purpose of helping you and to help me understand and recognize that, that, that Jesus wants us to share with others the good news of the relationship that we have with him. Listen, we are hard, it is hardwired in our DNA to share good news. You get a raise, you text on somebody, you go eat at a new great restaurant, you're going to tell somebody, you go see a bad movie, let me tell you good news, save yourself $40 and don't go see this movie. We're hardwired to tell people good news. Jesus knows that. He wired us for that, which is the reason why the last thing the Bible records for us that Jesus said to his disciples then is found in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you shall, here it is, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He said, listen, you are going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and you are going to be given boldness. You're going to be given every single thing you need to go share me with the world around you. And every single person who has ever come into a new relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God has come and dwelled inside of you. And the same message Jesus gave to his disciples then is the same message he's given to his disciples now. And as we sing today, the same God, the same Holy Spirit he promised to them then, he is promised and given to us now. Listen, I get it. For some reason, when it comes to talking to other people about Jesus, it's hard. I, I, I get that, I feel that. It's hard for me to do it. It's easy, like, th- like last week I was at Hy-Vee and they had uh, pounds of ground beef for 2 dollars a pound. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I had to tell somebody. I got on social media and I said, hey, y'all listen, I don't know who needs to, I don't know who this is for, but Hy-Vee on Barry's got ground beef for $2.99 a pound. Somebody better get some. I talked to the manager in the meat section. He got, I got 37 cases of this. We bought like 30 packs of that stuff. Y'all ain't had beef in like three months. Oh, somebody testify. We're not talking about helping somebody get a deal on something. We're not talking about giving somebody a recommendation on something. You know why it's hard to talk to people about Jesus? Because we're talking about the only thing that guarantees to change somebody's life. We're talking about the only thing that has a 100% record of changing someone's life, of healing relationships, of restoring things that are broken, of breaking people out of the bonds of addiction. And the devil of hell knows the power and the potential when somebody calls on the name of Jesus and he does everything he can to shut our mouths by convincing us we're not qualified. But I just wanna tell you today, if you have a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, that's the only qualification you need. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna spend some time unpacking, not in in a, you ought to, or you should, or what's the matter with you if you aren't? That's not the heart of God. We are gonna spend the next several weeks unpacking. What does it look like for us to get serious and to get real and to take advantage of the opportunities to share Jesus with somebody else, somebody that is close to me, but far from him? How do we do this? Well. We're gonna talk a lot in the next couple weeks about it, but I wanna start today by asking this question and for you to answer it. Who's your one? Who's the person that's close to you but far from God that you would love it? It would bless you. It It would have a profound impact on your life if that person came to faith in Jesus. You see, here's what happens. The devil does such a good job of getting us to look at all of the big picture problems that we miss the small picture opportunities. What's our vision as a church? Our vision as a church is to see our city changed by Jesus. How? One life at a time. Listen to me. One life at a time is enough. And so I'm just asking the question. I believe God would have me ask you this question as we begin this journey over the next several weeks. Who's your one? And then I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to pray see, so oftentimes we, 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 we get about the business of doing things and we, we immediately just get to work. But can I tell you, I believe that sometimes our work is anemic is because our prayer is absent. And if we wouldn't spend more time investing in prayer, it would sharpen the spiritual axe to be able to cut down the tree better. that's the reason why we're giving you this. This is a 30-day prayer journal. Please don't walk out of here without this. Because what it's gonna ask you to do is it's gonna ask you, who's your one? And then one day at a time, you're gonna be drawn to different verses of scripture. You're gonna be encouraged with some some thoughts and some ideas, and for you to insert the name of the person that you were praying for. Because here's the deal. God's Great plan for salvation to the world is us. Let me be really clear God's great plan of salvation to the world is not a church organization. God's great plan to bring hope to the world is not a nonprofit, it's not a cool branded this or a slick vision statement that. God's great plan to bring hope to the world doesn't require you to have an exorbitant amount of resources. Let me make it personal. God's great plan for your one is you. And God not only wants to use you, to change one person's life, God wants you to feel what happens and see what happens. When you begin to develop the confidence of knowing, oh, God, you can use me. And then you become the person that the gates of hell get freaked out about. Because when a follower of Jesus, who knows they are empowered by the Spirit of God, are willing to be a disciple that will learn from him, that will be changed by him, that will stay close to him, and that will share him, the gates of hell begin to tremble. And the gates of hell begin to tremble because that person is somebody that has the power to change somebody's life today. And so I'm asking you, church, would you go with me on this journey? Would you pray for your one and know that as you do, I'm praying for my one and I'm praying for you so that you might change somebody's life. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816 if this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church Podcast. Thanks for listening.